Well, today we're going to begin a new series called The Discipleship Journey, uh, and uh, this is our church's desire uh, to grow as disciples, to be disciples who are making disciples. And we ask the question, how is it that, that we're going to accomplish that? And it's through this discipleship journey. And so these next five weeks through the month of August, as we go through these uh, five letters, A, B, C, D, E, are, are really important. I really hope that you are, are, are paying attention. I really hope that you're taking good notes. I really hope that your heart is ready to move uh, as, we, as we work through this discipleship journey over the next several weeks. There's a story about a, a young girl who was walking along the beach. And as she's walking along the beach, it was after a, a big storm had come through. And this big storm had, had, had laid all of these starfish all over the beach. And they were stranded there on the beach, and they were all going to die. They needed to get back into the water. And so this young girl was walking along the beach, and she was picking up a starfish, and she was tossing it out into the water. And she would walk, and she'd pick up another one, and she would throw it out into the water. And there was people that were kind of watching this young girl and, and sort of uh, amused at what she was doing because there were thousands of starfish on the beach. There was no possible way that she was ever going to be able to make a dent in the number of starfish that were there scattered across the beach as she was going along and throwing one in at a time. And so this one man walked up to the little girl and he says to her, listen, I mean, it's, it's great uh, what you're doing, but you realize that this is I mean, this is way more starfish than you could ever uh, do anything for. I mean, what are you doing? And uh, you just need to, to kind of give it up. And the little girl felt deflated. She felt sort of defeated for a moment. But then as she thought about it, she picked up another starfish and she threw it out into the ocean. And she looked at that man and she said, well, it made a difference to that one. And the old man looked at the girl sort of funny and thought about what she had said and what she had done, and he was inspired. And so he began to go in to help her, and he began to pick up starfish and throw them out into the ocean as well. And other people came and joined them until they were able to, to gather all the starfish and throw them back out into the ocean. And so it was our mission uh, to be disciples and and make disciples, we believe this is what God has called us to do as a church. And so as we're moving from A to B to C to D to E over these next several weeks, the goal is that we would be disciples by starting a relationship with Jesus and growing in our relationship with Jesus, and that we would make disciples by inviting other people into this discipleship journey. And it might seem crazy just one person at a time, but if we all do it, what an impact that can make in our city and all over the world. And so as we think about today, today is A, and A stands for anyone. The action step for today is this. Anyone can begin a relationship with Jesus today. Anyone can begin in a relationship with Jesus today. So if you have your Bibles open, I ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word if you're able and turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10 today, beginning in verse 9. Romans chapter 10, 
in verse 9. The word of God says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how then can they call on him that they've not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? So as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Thank you. You may be seated. As we work through this passage this morning, I want you to to ask the question in your heart, am I ready to begin this journey? And am I ready to help others begin this journey? A stands for anyone. And the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that anyone can confess. Anyone can. This letter was written by Paul to the church at Rome, and in it he shows the work of God in providing salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And he outlines the gospel all through this letter that we call the Romans. And we have a a gospel presentation that we often call the Romans Road, where you go through these passages of Scripture in the, in the letter to the Romans that, that walks us through understanding what the gospel is and what it means. And so, for example, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that every single one of us are guilty before God because all of us have sinned. Sin means that we've disobeyed God, that we have fallen short of his standard. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And so that means that all of us has a problem, that all of us are guilty, and there's not anything that we can do to save ourselves. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, It said, God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God sent his son Jesus to die for us when we were still sinners. It wasn't because we had done some good things. It wasn't because we had earned it. It wasn't because he thought, hey, they're doing a pretty good job. It was because he loved us that he sent Jesus to die for us, even when we were still sinners and far away from God. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the wages means the the penalty or the price for our sin. We just said that all of us have sinned. The price for our sin is death. That's the consequence. That's the payment that all of us owe. But he says, but the free gift of God is life, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why it's important that he sent Jesus even when we were sinners and far away from him. And so in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that means that, that we can be forgiven, that we can be set free. We would not be condemned. Instead, we would be accepted into the family of God. This is the gospel that Paul is outlining throughout this letter. And so the, this discipleship journey that we're talking about throughout the month of August is all about the movement of the gospel in our lives. And so for the A group, the gospel is absent. It's not there. They haven't accepted it. They haven't believed upon it. And so it's absent in their lives. And so our prayer is that the gospel would be proclaimed and that it would be received into anyone's heart. But how can anyone receive this forgiveness from God? We just walked through the, the gospel there in, in the book of Romans, but how do you, how do you get this free gift that, that Paul is talking about? Well, here in verses 9 and 10, he tells us that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, confess. That's the Greek word here, homologeo. It's translated as confess. It literally means same word. Homo means same word as logos. And so this is to confess means to speak the same word, to agree and speak the same word as God. That's what it means to confess. And so it means that we agree with God about our sin, that we agree that our sin is rebellion against God and against his lordship in our lives, that we agree that we have sinned in our lives, just like it told us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We agree that we need God to save us from our sin. We agree that we need his forgiveness. That's what it means to confess to the Lord. And so the Bible tells us that when we confess our sins to God, that he's merciful to us and he shows us his love. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here we see that confessing to God is the beginning of this relationship with him. That we would confess, we would agree with God that we have sin in our heart and that we would confess him as the Lord of our life. You see, because... Confessing that uh, a hamburger tastes great is one thing, but confessing that Jesus is Lord is a whole other thing altogether because that confession has implications. To say and agree that Jesus is Lord means something. And so in order to be saved from your sins here, he says you must confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. And so, so to confess Jesus as Lord means that, that he is the king, that he's the master, he's the boss. That's what Lord means. He's the, he's the king over your life. And so that means that he's the one who, who guides your life, not you. He's the one who defines sin, not you. And so to confess 
our sin and confess Jesus as Lord means that we are turning from our ways and we are turning to his way. And the theological term for that is the word repent. Uh, And repent means to to change your mind, to change your course, to do a U-turn. That I'm not going to go my way, that I'm going to go God's way. And this is exactly what Jesus preached when he began his ministry. In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it talks about Jesus beginning his, his public ministry. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent, turn away from, confess that I am Lord and follow after me. It's the same thing that Peter preached when the disciples began the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the same message that I am preaching to you today, that you would repent and confess Jesus as the Lord of your life this morning. Anyone can confess. Anyone who is here this morning, anyone who is watching online, anyone that's hearing my voice, you can make this decision today to turn away from your sin and to turn to Jesus and to call upon him to forgive you of your sins as the Lord and master of your life. Anyone can confess. The second thing that we see in this passage, though, is that Anyone can believe. I mean, beginning this discipleship journey starts with confessing and believing. And you go back to Romans chapter 9 and verse 10, and, uh, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you uh, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Here he uses the Greek word pistuo, which is translated here as believe. And it means to have faith. It means to have confidence in something. Faith is defined for us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, as the reality of what's hoped for, the proof of what's not seen. That we'd have faith, that we would believe in something, even that we're hoping for, even in something that we can't see. This past week, I was uh, in the drive-through at Chick-fil-A up near my house, and um, coming through the drive-through line, and there's a lady who's inside the window uh, that's talking to the young man who's outside the window that you know takes the drinks and puts them in your. They, Chick-fil-A's figured out how to do things faster, right? So they put one guy outside, and there's one guy inside, and they're, they're just doing stuff. And so these two, are, these two workers are talking to one another as I'm coming up, and I can hear them talking. And the lady inside is talking to the young man outside, and she's asking him about his faith. And he is telling her that he's agnostic, uh, and he was, he was defining that for her, that agnostic means that he doesn't know that we can know God. He, you know, he, you're, he's unsure about whether there's a God or not. And I can hear them talking back and forth, and she's sharing with him, and, and he's explaining to her. And, and he, just, he says to her, I just don't have all the evidence to believe, That's what he says. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it all. 
And so I pull up, and I had to chime in, you know, so I'm joining in with her, and, and, and uh, so I'm talking, and, 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 I'm sh- I said, and I said, yeah, this is a great book that I think would be a good book that you, he likes to read. So this would be a good book I think would be helpful for you, and was just talking with him, and, and we said to him, what you're talking about is exactly what faith is. It's believing in something even if you don't have all the answers. Because at some point, faith is required to believe in Jesus. You may believe in Jesus with just a a small amount of information, or you may think that you need all of this information, but still at some point, you still have to have faith. You still have to to believe in something that's unseen and, and, and something that's hoped for. You still have to have faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so, at some point, you still have to have faith. And there may be someone here this morning who's, who's just like this young man that we were talking to in the, in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, and you say, I, I'm just not sure, I just... I, I don't see it. I, I, I need more evidence. And that's fine. There is a lot of evidence. There's a lot of evidence. But at some point, you still have to express faith in Jesus. You see, it's not just about believing in anything or believing in whatever you want. I mean, today, a lot of people just want to believe whatever they want and for everybody else to just support that. But what Paul is calling the Romans to believe here is something specific. He's calling them to believe in an historic event, a theological event, a salvific event that changed everything. He's calling for them to believe in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, right? That's what he says. He says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, And so what he's calling them to believe requires faith. That Jesus walked out of a tomb alive after three days. One scholar writes that the resurrection proclamation could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. He's saying, look, I mean, it wasn't like Jerusalem was New York City. You know, I mean, there, people knew that, he was, that Jesus died. They knew that where he was buried. And so if there was any question at all about whether the tomb was empty, they could just go down there and see if it was empty or not. You know, so, so it wasn't like a question. It was obvious that the tomb was empty. In fact, when you read in the Gospels, the Jews' attempt to refute Christianity by saying that the disciples stole the body, right? That's what they said. They didn't say, oh, no, they're making that up. He's still in there. What they said was, he stole the body, which tells us clearly that the tomb was empty, that there was nothing there. And not only was the tomb empty, but people saw the risen Christ. A lot of people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, 
Paul says that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And so he says to the people in Corinth, there was this one time that he appeared to over 500 people, and most of them are still alive. Go ask them about it. Right? I mean, he, these are all eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And you can't just make stuff like that up. You can't. It's one thing to say it if they're all dead and there's no one that you can go ask about it. But he says most of them are still alive. So go ask them about what they saw. And so the, this resurrection is the central tenet of the gospel message going forward. It's the one thing that everyone was proclaiming. It was the one message of the church. This unbelievable event is exactly what Christians are called to believe. And so there's no advantage in society, there's no advantage in anything by promoting this sort of message for the disciples. In fact, they were all killed because of it. But they wouldn't stop telling everybody that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so all of these facts are pointing to the truthfulness of the resurrection. And this is what we're called to believe. Because Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave means something. This is God's salvation plan. This is how we receive God's forgiveness. This is how we're credited the righteousness of Christ. This is how we're reconciled to God. In fact, he says there in verses 9 and 10, or in verse 10, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. This is how we are credited the righteousness of Christ. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. This is how we receive the forgiveness and salvation of God. It's through this death and resurrection of Jesus. And so whether you believe or don't believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus has consequences. In John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, the Bible says, God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. It says believing in Jesus' death and resurrection is the difference between salvation and condemnation. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between heaven and hell. Later in John chapter 3 and verse 36, he says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. And that's why I'm preaching this message to you today. That you would believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and be saved. 
Because anyone can begin this discipleship journey through a relationship with Jesus. By confessing him as Lord, by believing in your heart that he was raised from the dead for your salvation. And following him as your king. You can do that today. In fact, in a few minutes at the end of the sermon, we're going to stand and sing. There's going to be leaders here at the front. And if this is a decision you need to make in your heart, then it's the time for you to come and to share with them that this is a decision that you want to make today, that you want to start this discipleship journey. There's a third thing, though, that we see in this passage. And that is that anyone can proclaim. At the end of this passage, Paul points out that anyone has to hear this gospel message. In verses 14 and 15, he says, How then can they call on him that they've not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He says they can't confess Jesus as Lord if they don't believe. And they can't believe if they've never heard. They can't believe if they've never heard. What we're talking about here is the most incredible news in the world. It's the news that, that literally shaped and changed everything for us. We have to make sure that people hear it. You know, there's something that I've heard this past week everywhere that I've went. Every restaurant that I've been in, every line that I've stood in, every person that I've talked to on the phone, it seems to come up. I've talked about it all week long with every single person I've talked to just about, and that is that in the Southeastern Conference, we've just added Texas and Oklahoma as, as teams to the Southeastern Conference. Anybody hear that this week? Raise your hand if you heard that this week. Anybody hear about that? It is amazing how many people heard that this week, isn't it? I mean, did you talk to anybody about it this week? Anybody talk to you about it this week? I mean, everywhere I went, I mean, people were talking about what conference, I mean, what division are they going to be in? Are they going to go into pods? Are they going to be any good when they're in the SEC? Are we just going to beat them up? You know, I mean, what's it going to be like for Texas and Oklahoma? Are we going to add more teams? I mean, everybody's talking about it because I guess it's really important to us. I just wonder why we don't tell everybody about Jesus. I mean, it... Obviously, the method works when it's football or the new restaurant in town or your grandkids or whatever it is. The the method works to tell people. We just got to, you know, employ the method and tell people about Jesus. And so what, what Paul says here, he uses the Greek word keruso, which is translated as preach. He says, how can they hear unless... Someone preaches. And it, it means to be a herald. It means to announce the good news of what's been done. To proclaim is what it means, to proclaim. Now, the problem for us in the South is that we have basically think that 
to preach is what I do on Sundays right now in a sermon. And that's the scope of what we think about when we say preach. But that's not what the Bible limits it to when it talks about preaching. Preaching means to proclaim. And that's not just my job. That's everybody's job who's a follower of Jesus. In fact, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's what Jesus told all of his disciples. He didn't just pull one or two of them aside and say, I've got a special job for you. I want you to be the preacher. And you you be the one that preaches and tells this to people. He told it to all of his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This call to proclaim is not just reserved for professional clergy. It is the high calling of anyone who is a follower of Jesus. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. And so Peter gave these instructions to all of the disciples who were scattered all throughout Central Asia, that they ought to be ready at any time to give a proclamation to give a defense, to preach to anybody who would ask them about the hope that they have in their hearts. It obviously wasn't just for a few of them. And so he says to them, how then are we going to proclaim this good news if they're not sent out to do it? He says anyone is not going to hear this good news unless someone is sent to tell them about it. But here's what Jesus did in John chapter 20 and verse 21. He says to his disciples, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. He told his disciples that they were sent out for this purpose. And I need you to understand that you are sent out for this same purpose as well. It's literally what I say at the end of every single service, right? That you are now sent to Knoxville and the nations. Like This is what you're sent out to do, to proclaim and preach this gospel. There's initiative an initiative that we started here a couple years ago with the North American Mission Board called Who's Your One?, and Who's Your One is, is a great initiative that calls each and every one of us to consider who's our one. And your one is your person that you want to pray for and that you want to share the gospel with. Someone that needs to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It might be someone that lives in your, in your house, someone that's part of your family, someone that you work with, somebody that you go to school with, that you're friends with, that you know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and they're your one the person that you're praying for, the person that you're sharing with. And this is a big part of of how we're going to proclaim the gospel as a church family. Now, one of the spokespersons for our North American Mission Board is Coach Mark Richt. And he was the former coach at the University of Georgia and at the University of Miami in football. And he shares his testimony of how when he was a grad assistant, 
and a quarterbacks coach at Florida State University under Coach Bobby Bowden, that Coach Bowden led him to the Lord. And so I want you to watch this video. I'll, I'll say ahead of time that the, the, the quality of the video is not great, but the content of the video is excellent. So listen and hear what Coach Rick has to say about his faith. He helped me learn about life and uh, actually led me to the Lord in 1986. So uh, he's been a, lot more, been a lot more to me than just a guy giving me a job and giving me an opportunity. How did he lead you to the Lord? Well, uh, 1986, a young man on our team named Pablo Lopez was shot and killed. And um, very horrific situation. And uh, I think it was the very next day we were in a team meeting. He was addressing the team. And um, I was in the back of the room taking role. I was a graduate assistant coach, as I mentioned before. And, and Coach Bowden talked about Pablo and said he just wasn't sure where Pablo was going to spend eternity because... He just didn't know, didn't know uh, where he was in his relationship to the Lord, and so he kind of uh, told us about the gospel, and and, uh, and then he uh, basically the punchline that got me is he said, "Men, you're 18 to 22 years old. You think you're going to live forever?" And Pablo used to sit in that seat right there, and now Pablo's gone. He said, "If that was you last night, do you know where you would spend eternity?" And uh, so I'm in the back of the room thinking, I know where I'm going to spend it. It's not going to be a very good spot. And uh, So that night I decided I wanted to see Coach the next day and uh, and pray to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. So that's what I did. My father had... What an incredible, incredible story, huh? Coach Bobby Bowden's awesome. Uh, and w what a faithful witness there to share with his whole team, his coaches. And he did that his whole career. Um and so we look at people like Coach Bowden, and we admire them for sharing their faith. Coach Rick is the same way uh, in sharing his faith. We got to be those sort of people also, those sort of people that are, that are willing to speak and to proclaim and to preach the gospel and to share with people how they can know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. When you come into our atrium, in the entrance out there to the atrium, we have recently listed on above the doors our our 2025 vision goals, the things that we want to pray and, and, and ask the Lord to do, these things that he's put in our heart over these next several years as we're trying to push forward as a church. And one of those goals is that we would baptize 100 individuals every year as a church. That's a big goal, right? 100 people every single year as a church but I can guarantee you that the only way that that's ever going to happen is if we're praying earnestly for it and that each of us has a one that we're trying to share with. We're not going to accidentally baptize 100 people. We're going to have to be intentional at preaching and realizing that we are sent and that they're not going to hear it unless we preach. And anyone and every one of us has to be doing it. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said, you have one business on earth to save souls. And so for, for someone who's already on this discipleship journey, we're not only to be disciples, but we're to make disciples. So who is your one? Who's that person that, that you're 
praying would come to faith in Jesus? Who is it that you're proclaiming the gospel to so that they would begin this discipleship journey? I want you literally right now in your notes to write down somebody's name. I'll wait. Like Write down somebody's name. Somebody that you're thinking about as you're praying for. Someone that you want to share the gospel with. Pray that you would be that anyone who would proclaim the gospel to them. Like our church has to get serious about this. Because the task may seem overwhelming. And there may be billions of people in the world, but it makes a difference for that one, that one on your piece of paper. And if we all do it, God will use this to make an impact over the entire world. There may be some here today who need to begin this discipleship journey. And we've explained today how if you confess Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved, that we walk through how each of us has sinned in our heart and that we need to be forgiven and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And so God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and do what we couldn't do. He died in our place, taking our punishment because the wages of our sin is death. But God raised him from the dead on the third day so that we would have victory over death, that we would have life, that we'd have forgiveness from our sins. And you can receive this free gift today into your heart. Anyone can confess. Anyone can believe. Anyone is you. And so we're going to stand and sing in just a minute. There's going to be leaders here. And if this is a decision that you need to make, then you come And pray today and call on Jesus to forgive you of your sins and begin this journey with him. But Christians, as we think about this passage of Scripture, we've already begun this discipleship journey by placing our faith in Jesus to save us. Our job now is to proclaim to anyone that they can have a relationship with Jesus too. And so what I'm asking you to do during this time of response is to spend time in prayer for that one, the one that you wrote down, the one that's on your heart, the one that's in your mind, that God would save them, that God would use you to share with them, and that we would see a number of people come to faith in Jesus like we've never seen before in the history of this church, as we all get serious about proclaiming the good news to anyone. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you for your word today. And God, we're praying and have been praying, Lord, that these next few weeks, Lord, would be a a turning point in our, in our church, as we see this discipleship journey, how we move through it, how, how we are being disciples who are making disciples. And Lord, we see it starts here with anybody, with people that we go to work with, people we go to school with, people who are part of our family that don't know you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, as you've shown us in your word today, 
that this gospel is even for them. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you in their heart as their Lord and Savior, that today they would call on you and they would be saved. They'd be forgiven. They'd be born again. They would start this discipleship journey. That they would come. As soon as we start singing, they would come and say, I want to be saved today. But God, I'm praying for Christians across this room as well. Lord, that you would burden our hearts for anyone, for our one who needs to know you as their Lord and Savior. And that, God, we would see a faithfulness in sharing the gospel. Lord, that we would see an outpouring of your spirit like we've never seen before. That we would see our baptismal waters stirred like we've never seen before. And, God, that you would move in your power in a way that only you could. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go back to the beginning Can't control what tomorrow will bring But I know here in the middle Is the place where you promised to be